A Norwegian woman has taken the world lead in the women's 800. Japan and the United States have bailed on the world half marathon championships. A 60-year-old man has run 71 minutes in the half marathon. Minnesota has cut its men's track and field program. I, Rojo, will unveil my plan to save the sport. Is Emma Cobra now the favorite for Olympic gold? Lamine Diak is going to prison. All of that and much more in this week's edition of the Let's Run Track Talk podcast. For myself, my twin brother, Weldon Johnson, as well as a staff writer, Jonathan Gulp, break down the world of track and field and get you ready for the week ahead. But, but guys, before we get to those things, I think we should start with tomorrow's Rome Diamond League meet. What do you think, John? Yeah, I want to talk about it, Robert. I'm aware it's possible that some people listening right now already know the results. You'll listen to it after the meet. So we're going to keep to a strict time limit here. Robert, can you put five minutes on the clock here? That's our Rome discussion time. And hit start now. It's starting, folks. So if it's already happened, you want to listen to this, just fast forward five minutes and you'll be see the rest all right. of the show. Robert just wasted 20 seconds there. But all right, first question. Carson Warholm, this is his last international race of the year. Does he get the world record in the 400 hurdles? Yes or no? I want to say yes, but I have to say no. I think he's a little bit tired. Wait, what's the weather forecast? You know me. I'm obsessed with the weather, John. Thursday, we've got a high of 93 and sunny, but this will be in the evening, so I'm guessing it's probably in the 70s or 80s. I mean, what's good 400 hurdles weather? No wind. No wind is the key, but he's not getting the record. I think that that's, that's the safe bet, say he's not getting the record. Although he did run 47.08 since we've last been on this podcast. He ran that in Berlin over the weekend, because last podcast we were talking how he ran in Ostrava, and he ran, what, 47.62, he looked at the clock, he couldn't believe it. He was just sort of shocked. And came back this past Sunday in Berlin, 47.08. He's got to get down to 46.78, and he's already run 46.87 this year. But betting man says no. I'm going to change my prediction. Weather looks like it will be in the 80s, race time. I like the warm weather. I'm a Texas boy at heart. When that Norwegian cold blood gets warmed up, world record, folks, you heard it here first. I'm going to go with Weldon. I'm going to say no. I think he'll probably run 46 high or 47 low. I mean, obviously, it's on the table every time. That's what makes him so exciting. But it's really hard. That record has stood for 28 years for a reason. Uh, I'm going to say no. All right, guys. We're almost two minutes into our five minutes on Rome. We've got a women's 800 with Jim Ricci, some other people. Do we want to talk about that or do we want to spend three minutes on the men's 3000? The big one. Everyone's excited about it. The battle of the 19-year-old sensations, Jacob and Jacob. Caplimo versus Inga Britson, a perfect middle ground between the 1500 star and the 5000 meter man. Who's got the edge here, Jonathan? I, I think it's so close. I mean, I look at them, I think tradition... Traditionally, you're supposed to go with the 1500 guy when all else is equal, right? Because it's, you know, he's the guy who can outkick them at the end. But Jakob Ingebrigts, I mean, I know, I know he's a 1500 stud. He was, what, fourth at Worlds last year in the 15. He's really good. I don't view him as some, like, maniacal last lap kicker, though. Am I wrong? Or, like, he, he doesn't just strike me as, like, oh, man, you really got to look out for his last 200. Like, he's not like a Robbie Andrews type. And I get he's faster than Robbie Andrews, personal best-wise, but... Am I am I just crazy here, or is that the vibe you guys get? 
Well, I think normally we see them in a rapid race where they're, where they're running so fast at the end. It's not like we haven't, we've seen them in that many championships races where they're slamming it down in the last 400. Right. Um, but I, I certainly think his speed is, is better than Caplimo's. And, you know, I think on this podcast or last week or the week before, I, I, I said Caplimo would win. Now I'm getting a little bit worried about that. The more I think about it, I'm like, who, how fast is the rabbit going to be? How, how much are they going to be pushing? Caplimo's going to do the work. He's got to get, get away from him. I mean, I know Caplimo did, did hold off Borrega in that 5,000. Borrega pulled up even, but that was a 5,000. This is only a 3,000. Again, though, going with the weather makes me a little bit better for Caplimo. I'm always obsessed with the weather. A hot 3,000 makes it a little bit more like a 5,000. Yeah, Robert, I think your weather takes, someone needs to rein you in or you need to have a sit down with a meteorologist because you, you just freak out about this stuff way too much. But Weldon, let's talk to the man that beat Abdi Abdurrahman. Last night when I was in bed having trouble sleeping, I was thinking, did we hype that up enough? Weldon Johnson beat Abdi Abdurrahman, the guy that made the Olympic team this year. How in the hell is that possible? It's amazing. It's amazing that Abdi made the Olympic team this year at that age. And Weldon also beat him, what, 15, 16 years ago, folks. Do your history if you're young. Read you're wasting your Johnson. time here, my goodness. Yes, First 45 all- seconds, Weldon. Tell us what you have. Well, I'm going to inform the people who, who Jehu Kipplimo is. Runner-up at World Senior XC last year, World Junior XC champion, 12.48 in Ostrava. I think a lot of people honestly aren't that familiar with Kaplimo. Did you just call him David Kaplimo? His name is Jacob. I said Jacob, Robert. Please, you're wasting time. I'm going with Ingebrigtsen. This guy, people forget, he was leading the world's 5K last year. And he's got great 1,500 speed. He's the favorite. Kaplimo beat Borrega in Ostrava, but Borrega went out too hard and faded. So I, I like... Ingebrigtsen's kick a little bit better. Yeah, I'm going to go Jakob. He's just always a very smart, savvy racer when I see him, and I, yeah, I'll give him the edge based on 1500. But I, I think it's very even matchup. Stuart McSwain don't totally count him out either. 3000 is a good distance for him. Plus, he's Aussie and, and and used to the heat. There we go, folks. Five minutes on Rome. If you missed it, that's fine. Skipped ahead. But so much other stuff to talk about. Big Ten football is back. I want a formal apology to John. I think we said there would be college football this year. John, will you admit there's going to be college football this year? Can we get it on the record? I think if... Why do I have to admit this? There already has been college football this year. I I thought there wouldn't be. I'm wrong. I'm willing to move on, and hopefully this doesn't lead us down some sort of coronavirus side road that gets our podcast totally tra- off track like it always does no don't worry john i won't bring up the fact that donald trump called the big 10 commissioner last week and now a week later things get done folks i'm not trying to go politics i'm just like to, trying to needle john <laughs> the key is john when there's a lot of money at stake somehow we miraculously can do things that aren't are safe for the people actually doing them young people no fans having sporting events Pro sports are showing that sporting events can be held pretty safely. So, especially when there's a shitload of money at stake. Not sure that means anything for track and field, but maybe for the Olympics next year. This brings up a topic that I wanted to get to. Uh, USATF, they're not going to be sending a team to the World Half Marathon Championships in Poland next month. This is not something that has been that's come out publicly david i mean david monty has written about this he's he sort of broke the news but usatf has just been totally silent on this uh publicly but this is we got this in an email from david monty and the following is from a coach relayed to david 
Ultimately, the local organizing committee in Poland is the entity that needed to take responsibility for safety measures formation and then sending that information to World Athletics. As of last Friday, World Athletics has not received documents showing what safety protocols will be enforced at the event. So essentially, USATF and also Japan is not sending a team for the same reason. They're not sending a team because at the moment they haven't received guidance about what safety protocols in place. Now, I kind of think there's two ways you can look at this. One, you can say, okay, USATF's looking out for their athletes. They don't think that this is totally safe. They haven't received confirmation. The other is USATF has seemed very willing to sort of use COVID. It's a convenient excuse for them to say, oh, it's going to be challenging to put on a national championship this year. We're going to have to do things differently. Let's just not hold one, you know, or, oh, it's going to be a challenge to send athletes to Poland. It's going to be difficult Let's just not send them. So where where on that spectrum do you guys fall? I, I fought with, I'm very upset with USATF about this. This really bothered me. Come on. USATF doesn't do much. I, I, I don't deny that the Polish organizers may not have, have released a, a formal plan like a Major League Baseball NFL plan that put people at ease. The Japanese aren't going either. So it's not just US that's going. But I did read the Japan. They at least put a statement out. It's much more elaborate. They say, look, there's a two-week quarantine. If we go to come back, we don't want to do that etc. USATF crickets. And to me, all USATF really does is pay f- pay for the spots. I mean, they pay for the travel. They send the coach over. These people don't need a coach. Let's be honest. Weldon, who actually represented the United States at the World Half Marathon Championships, that was one of his career highlights. He never made it on the track. He got to go wear the USA uniform at the World Half and at the Pan Am Games. So the, the thing I have is this decision shows that USATF, it reiterates what I've always thought about USATF. They do not care about the quote-unquote, and I'll call Wells in this, the B-teamers. They only care about the superstars, and they don't care really about the the heart and soul of the sport, the grassroots and, and stuff like that, because it's not USATF's decision. If they're having this meet, and it's just a matter of money, it's a couple thousand dollars per person, ask the athletes if they want to go. Go to the person that qualified and said, hey, this meet's going on, do you want to go? We're not sure if it's safe, but if you want to take that risk, go ahead. These are adults. Why can't they make their own decisions? It's not Max Siegel's decision for them. Let the athletes make the decision. They can opt in or they can opt out. Instead, we say, oh, they can't go because it's not safe for them. What do you mean? I mean, people are traveling all over the world. Why didn't USATF then block all these Americans, Donovan Brazier, Noah Lyles, from going to Europe to race in the first place? Somehow they got over to Europe and raced just fine. So why can't these athletes decide if they want to go? But this, and I, I tie this in with like only having 30 people in the Olympic trials next year in the 1500 meters when there's three heats. We're going to run a heat of the 1500 and go from 30 to 24 people. That's stupid. They should have 48 people in the first round. You have another 18 people, another 18 families that are into track and field. And it's, yes, those people are not going to make the team, but they're excited about it. It's a dream for them to realize USF does not care about them. They don't care about the people that make the world half. They only care about the people that might make a medal. Rojo, unhinged. I agree that we should send a team. It, so the Polish organizers may have dropped the ball a bit, but this isn't the bubonic plague. I think people have shown that they're going to Europe and racing. This is an outdoor event. You could easily like send a team over there, avoid other people, don't go to any other events, say, we're going to fly you over there, you're going to go to your hotel room, you're going to race. I mean, like, let athletes make that decision. Af- Americans are flying all over Europe, racing, going to different meets, traveling on their own. I personally think we should have sent a team or given athletes the option to go on their own. 
this is an opportunity. Like for me, this is like one of my career highlights is representing the United States at the World Half Marathon Championships. And with the COVID situation now, I think they should have done it. Having a national championship this year in the U.S., the U.S. is just so different and so big. And we've seen COVID sort of come in regional waves. So planning that would have been hard. But I think big sports organizations have figured out ways to exist with this. Track and field is very different because you have thousands of athletes at one place at once. But like, I think leadership would have been trying to hold this thing, trying to do it. And leadership would have held a USA's as well. France had a USA's. England had a USA's. Great Britain. All these people. <laughs> Wait, France had a USA's? <laughs> Excuse me. France had a national championships. And I shouldn't say England and Great Britain. The UK had one, etc. And I'm looking at the COVID deaths per million. Poland, 60 deaths per million. England, over 642. You know? And everyone talks about, oh, the evil United States who didn't inept it. We're better than England. We're 598. All these European countries that had worse COVID deaths than us have had it, had the U.S. championships. Max Siegel pundit on that. And then here we go. We can't go to Poland? Really? It's one-tenth as dangerous there as it is here on average. Robert, quit starting those things and saying how dangerous it is at any one moment. It's just not a good stat. Like People point that out every time you throw out some like historical stat. I agree with you. We should have gone 100%. I think a lot of people's reaction... A lot, a lot of what's going on with COVID isn't science. It's, you know, people's perceived risk, maybe how they perceive risk and how much risk they're willing to put up with. And people can have very different perceptions of that. But if healthy young athletes are competing in pro sports throughout the world, I wish USATF had sent a team. And I think the other thing this hurts is, obviously, there might be some athletes who might not want to go. But, and it's only limited, you know, teams, rosters of five athletes per, per country, per gender. But... This is one of the few competition opportunities that does exist for athletes of this caliber, and it is being taken away from athletes, and who knows if they, the American athletes even had a say in this. I think it's unlikely that they did. Right, and there's no way they would do this if this was the Worlds or the Olympics, but it's just like, oh, this isn't that important. We'll skip it. Well, you know, we don't want to be criticized, blah, 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 blah. All right, guys, a couple more COVID-related things in terms of running. I was... In contact with a high school coach, I was asking about Foot Lockers. The NXN National High School Team Championships were canceled like months ago. Foot Lockers, we've not heard anything. I reached out to this coach, and they told me, the Foot Locker folks have been trying to work through all the available options and hold off canceling the event for 2020 as long as possible to see if conditions improve it enough to host it. One of the options being considered is moving the West Regional and the Nationals to a state that will allow some type of gathering in 2020, as the Pierce California is not going to allow any type of event. So there's still hope for footlockers. The email goes on to say that they expect a final decision by mid-September, so it could be this week or next week. I mean, we already are mid-September, so... It's, it's going to get interesting, right? Big Ten football is out. Now the Pac-12 football, people are starting to say, hey, we want to play. And California has all these restrictions. It'll be It's going to be interesting to see like what money does there. But like obviously no one's going to care about the money of a high school national championship. But if they move it. Well, you make a good point there, Weldon. People act like, you know, we believe in science. No, people also believe in peer pressure. So when like, I go back to the Big Ten. When they – for, oh, we, we're not doing football. Weren't they the first to say that? They expected everyone to fall in line like what happened to basketball. Like the Ivy League begged out, and then everybody else begged out, and then the Ivy League looks like they're the leaders. But then 
when in football, when not everyone else followed through, then there was a lot of criticism for them. Like, hey, ever the people are playing football, why can't we? So, you know, I, I think that it's going to be very, very interesting. I so let's hope they're happening because one of the guys that I'm coaching on the Let's Run.com fall training program, Let's Run.com slash coaching. You still want to si- si- sign up and let me coach you? We're training him for the Foot Locker West Regional. So. Yep. Hey, yeah, we do have our fall training programs. If you want fall training, go to let'srun.com slash fall nine week training programs by Rojo. Or if you want base training, we've are opening up our base training program as well. Robert, how do they find out that one? Or they can just email you. Yeah. Robert at let'srun.com. Robert at let'srun.com. And I want to give out an update, folks, to the VIP subscribers, the members of our supporters club. We have exciting news. I have finally almost ordered the shirts. I haven't quite actually ordered them. It'll be done within hours of this show. That doesn't sound like news, Robert. Well, John, I've been saying for months, I've had, I've had a mental block. It's been very hard. I've, I've looked at a thousand shirt companies. Only the best. But there is bad news, folks. One guy in England has demanded that the shirt get there before October 4th, and it's not going to happen. Before the Kipchoge runs in London, he was going to run out onto the course with the goat shirt. But It's not going to happen? We can't rush delivery to one guy in England? I feel like in the global economy, we can make that happen. Robert, you need to on-demand him the other shirt, the first shirt that I got that came from Amazon. That was great. Robert went all detailed. The second round of shirts have, like, let's run logos on the back. like the inseam or whatever it's called, the back of your neck. That's yeah, these sort are of premium. Thing. I guess I could send him like a, a cheaper version of it, so just so he could get some TV time or watch it on him. I was kind of joking about him running on the course, but that w- that would be, you know. And we also had some people, you know, a couple European visitors say, "Save the money, don't send it to me." And I said, "No, no, you're the ones that deserve it because you're not getting the shoe, shoe discount. It's going to cost like a small arm and leg, I think, over thirty dollars to get it to Iceland." One of our subscribers, but hey. You guys deserve it. Thank you for your support. If you want to support the website, support independent journalism. It's only 30 cents a day, people. Come on. Think about what you waste money on every day. Can't you spend 30 cents a day? Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. Get bonus content. Big shoe discounts. Yeah, it's like two sips of coffee, right? Yeah, if you're if you're in the U.S. And, you know, last week we had a bonus podcast for people where we talk about things that we're afraid cancel culture will, t- will get after us on this. Like we talked about this crazy bear story and... Also, the sexist commentating on the Ostrava women's fifteen hundred meter. So, and you can save twenty percent on running shoes; like it pays for itself. And I just want to backtrack one second. Robert said he's coaching a footlocker hopeful. I don't know whether I'm, I, I think I have to root for this kid. But the only downside is if he actually does make footlocker, Robert's ego is going to swell to heretofore unimagined levels. So, I I think it will be in a way good for the podcast but also in a way bad because Robert's just going to be so cocky. I don't know how well then I'll be able to deal with him. Well, I hope he, I don't know if he's listening to the show. I don't want to talk about his chances. His times really wouldn't be indicative of a footlocker. I do have a young lady that was close to making it last year. It said she wanted me to coach her one-on-one. I said, I'd be happy to do that. But then I maybe my email has been lost. We haven't figured that out yet, but I was coaching her this summer. So also real quickly on cross country going on there is going to be a division two i don't know what do you call the fake nlp john zombie nop they're calling this thing the d2xc national invitational we should call it the zombie national come on this is the d2 national championships this is amazing this is great we, we got we got to promote this well then 
get the details out there. Yep. So it's going to be held Saturday, November 14th in Lubbock, Texas at Lubbock Christian. The school said we're on board. We're going to host it. They even have like a qualifying procedure. I think if you finish in like the top percent of your conference, they'll automatically let you in. So division two runners are going to have a pseudo national championship. So kudos to them. I think the division one teams, there are some teams competing. There's going to be like a, what an sec championship. There's going to be some conference championships. I think overall the coaches are holding out having a cross country season from January to March instead of indoor track or maybe in addition to indoor track, but some of these other, that's cool. I'd love to see sort of the D1 coaches sort of do the same thing in November as well. If you're already running a conference championship October 31st, why not extend it two more weeks and have something like this? This is uh, this is the six D2 conferences that are, have committed to competing this fall. And I just, I, I just want to run down some of these conference names because they're kind of like, it just kind of strike me as like, not to shit all over D2, but they strike me as like off-brand NCAA FBS conferences. Like, there's the GMAC, the GLVC. Some of these sound like standardized tests, actually. The RMAC, the Peach Belt instead of the Sun Belt. But then maybe this could be the best conference name in all, Amer- all of America. The Lone Star Conference. I assume that's only Texas schools, but that's a great name for a conference. So all those schools will be competing or are hoping to compete at this D2 National Invitational. I, I can't believe this. Ivy Leaguer, John, bashing D2. John, that looked very – that was a poor, poor, poor – Poor look for you right there. I love the D2 people doing this. I hope someone in D1 does this to make these teams that wimped out, you know, <laughs> Ivy League, no no sports at all. But, you know, shout out, as I said, to Cornell last week for at least having on-campus instruction this year. But speaking of the D1 level, Ken Go wrote an article about a week ago about, you know, whether they're going to actually have an official NCAA cross-country season in the, in the, in the winter. And he quoted Robert Johnson, not myself, but the Oregon coach, saying that was a non-starter. And it was a text message. He says, he said, it's an Olympic year. It's too important of a year for that in the big picture. That excuse made no sense to me. Like, it's an Olympic year, so you can't run cross country in the winter. Well, you can run indoor track in the winter. It doesn't make any sense. Like, for a distance runner, it wouldn't matter if they were running indoor track or cross country. I mean, I, I guess if they're having to do both, like run a cross country nationals and then maybe an indoor nationals a week later for, for Oregon it might be a little bit much for them. But the excuse, like from a physiological standpoint, didn't make much sense to me. Like a distance runner can do one or the other. And come on, we're probably not going to be having. My question about the indoor cr- cross or the winter cross country is, would that be an addition to indoor track or is it this, the cross country schools are pushing this and saying, look, we're not going to have an indoor track. Yeah. I think the cross, well, I think people think indoors is a bad, how are you going to put hundreds of people in a small indoor space? That's unlikely to happen. I understand that principle, but we haven't canceled that stuff yet. So I don't see how you can plan one. You'd have to almost wait till you cancel the indoor track and said, Oh, well, cross country saver will do that. You, what you need to ensure is if this thing happens, all the distance runners need to be in the same place competing. You can't say have some people running cross country and some people running indoor track. If you want to have like a sprint and field only indoor no, champs, no cross country, you don't want to do that, Robert. You can't do a sprint only indoor championship. It totally changes Why not? the sport. What? Why not? So we're going to have a basketball season and only let the forwards play? I mean, come on, John. When you have a cross... This is... Robert, don't pretend that's the same thing. When you have the option to have a cross country season... Across country championships. It would totally change which teams are good at track because if, if the distance runners don't show up, this, this is the dumbest idea. The sprint schools would dominate the track then? No. How much? 
You have one or the other. You do not have... You, if you can't... It changes in- it for one season, Robert. I don't think it's a big deal. Plus, the cross-country kids probably... I don't know if they're like anything like the distance runners I knew in college. They like cross country more than they like indoor track. Yes, because the mediocre fifth runner actually matters in cross country and they don't matter in track. Oh, oh, as a mediocre fifth runner for a good chunk of my college career, I feel, well, that's not kind of accurate, but yeah. Um, I know that at heart, most distance runners love cross country much more than they love indoor track and they'd like to see a cross country season in the winter. I don't think that's going to happen, but you have to have one or the other. You don't have indoor track and cross country. You should have one or the other. Moving on. Well, I guess while we're talking about college cross country, did you guys see this story about the cow runner that quit the team via text message because he claims that the NCAA sports is racist and now he's upset that Coach Bobby Lockhart didn't get back to him? He didn't seem to. I read, did you read the article, Robert? He didn't seem too upset. He kind of thought Bobby had his. You know, he he's made wanted to make sure to protect his job. He didn't seem too offended that Bobby didn't get back to him. I don't know. I just I, I thought this was a fascinating story. So this guy's kind of a I don't I mean I don't want people to attack this person or anything. Very mediocre runner by Pac-12 standards, like a fi- over 15 minutes for 5,000 meters. Fifth year senior grad transfer, I think, and he decides that the NCA is so racist at Cal, which is one of the most left leaning schools. In, in the country um, that he he can't stand for the exploitation of, of minority athletes so he quits it just seemed bizarre to me yeah so th- we'll link to the thread and let's run it. i mean what what are we going to do like a lot of people disagree with the guy i'm sure there's some people agree with him but if we're talking about like track and field athletes being exploited pretty much anyone in track and field isn't being exploited because they're only on scholarship they're only getting the opportunity because from a financial standpoint, because football and basketball are supporting them and all women's sports pretty much fall in in that area as well. So for this guy, like don't group yourself in with like a basketball player. If you want to support a cause, but I don't see like what this is like someone in the cello saying, I'm just not going to play cello this year because the NCAA sports are exploiting, like they're not exploiting him. So it's like, it's like two unrelated things. And I, I personally don't buy the exploitation thing. I think there's a few high profile athletes who could make a lot of money, but overall it's the system. And, uh, you know, I don't think we need to discuss the whole NCA system right now. Good point. But it just, it didn't make any sense to me. Like his, his argument was sort of that like, you know, yeah, these, these male, mainly minority players are, are, you know, not getting financially compensated in men's basketball and men's football. But then you know, so that's exploitation. But then he admits basically a big part of his identity is missing. He misses track. He wishes he could do track because basically he did track for free in high school. He did it for college for free. So he wants to do that. The question I have, one way I think about this is, let's. I really don't think this is a racial exploitation of people. Think about it. When the NCAA started, it was almost all white athletes. Was the white football player of the 1960s, the quarterback, being exploited? Do you think if the roles were reversed and if, if the revenue sports were mainly – you know, featured white stars that would be hearing this argument that, oh, so they're being so exploited, it's so bad. You know, I, I don't think we'd be having this argument. I think people would say, yes, they have all this money and we need to use this money to fund women's sports. We need to use this money to fund, you know, the the, uh, the minority sports or whatever. But nowadays in society, whenever there's a racial discrepancy in something, people always assume if there's a disproportionate impact, impact on, on a minority group that it's a racist system. And I just don't agree with that. We have different things. Like the NCAA system wasn't racist 
in this wasn't racially exploiting the white quarterback 50 years ago. It's not racially exploiting the black quarterback. It may be exploiting the quarterback financially, but hey, you know, like the drama student volunteers to vote, to act for free. They liked, you know, should we cancel the drama department because they're not being compensated? Yeah, I would just say the system has been exploiting athletes a lot longer than the NCAA became predominantly or at least the, the top biggest sports. So they're you know. exploiting it. So were you exploited at Dartmouth, John? I'm not saying they're exploiting every athlete, but I'm saying I think in the Power Five football and basketball sports, yes, the athletes probably should get a share of the pie. But I understand it's a complex infrastructure. It's hard to just fix this system you know, overnight. We're not here to fix the NCAA system on this podcast. But yeah, some of these athletes are getting exploited. They're not being financially compensated for what they're bringing to the industry. But so what? I mean, we have this at all, at all different levels. My father paid a ton of money. Yes, he has money for me to go to Princeton. Now that's $80,000 a year. Is he being exploited because they're using that money to fund the person whose family has no money and is getting a full ride to Princeton? Like, oh, my dad was exploited. Well, he could be exploited because he had the money. And the poor person, were they exploiting my father that's getting the full ride to Princeton? That's a I mean, terrible analogy. Exploitation means you're not getting... You're putting it. You're getting more than you're putting in. Your dad put in what he felt like it was worth. To these help athletes are being denied the opportunity to make money off of their own image and likeness, Robert. They're being denied revenue that they are bringing in. Without these athletes, you wouldn't have these massive stadiums and these massive games going on. It's totally unrelated to paying tuition in an Ivy League school. John, the, you know, but the seventieth man on a pro fo- on a college football team is getting a full ride, you know, worth about two hundred grand. So he's not getting exploited, though. Well, then, right. So the vast the vast majority of college athletes are not being exploited. It's for most college athletes, it's about the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back of the jersey. Yes, the, the superstars total exploitation, or you could say they're they're getting perfectly set up for the pros. We discussed this last week. Maybe the pros need an own system because no athlete has to go run in college. No athlete is forced to go compete in college, right? It's a voluntary choice. No one has to go take a college scholarship to play collegiate sports. They're viewing that as the best choice for themselves going forward. And that's some of that's because of the pro stuff, whatever. No one is forced to take a college scholarship. Related to this, one final thing. University of Minnesota... I don't think we had this in last week's podcast. Is now cut men's track and field. I mean, this is like a stellar program. They've had tons of Olympians, recent Olympians. You know, Steeple Cinch is one of the coaches there. He was an Olympian. Yeah, th- this is this is a shame, and this is serious. I mean, William Mary getting cut was obviously a bad thing, um, but that program at least had sort of been floundering recently. They're not a power conference school, so they don't have the massive football and basketball revenue supporting that athletic department minnesota it's a big school it's a power five school it's a proud program like this should be a warning sign to the rest of the ncaa this program getting cut i mean i'd be worried i think almost every school would have to be worried a little bit after seeing this news i agree leroy burrell the houston coach and head of the u.s tfccca that's the united states track and field and Cross Country Coaches Association, he's put out an excellent letter talking about these cuts and how, one, they're terrible, but like, I'll just read an excerpt of his letter. Here we go. Looking for excuses in the name of temporary financial shortfalls as a result of COVID-19 and, quote, Title IX component compliance is unacceptable. 
the, quote, difficult choices cited by Minnesota and others to drop men's track and field across country does little to nothing to rectify their temporary financial situations while permanently eliminating student-athlete opportunities. And then he sort of goes on. I know he's not certain of what course of action they should take. But also I've noticed that the USATFCCA has kind of tweeted out some stuff calling out the white administrators and kind of playing up the diversity angle of track and field. The Ivy League, when Brown announced it was cutting track and field, the athletes responded with that as as well. And that's sort of like a selling point of track and field. It's one of the most diverse sports. You're cutting a sport with diversity. And I don't like everything sort of being racialized in America right now, but I want track and field to be saved. And, and, And there's no denying the truth that track and field is one of the most diverse sports. And it's a true melting pot. Anyone can do track and field, and that's what we love about it. So I think reminding administrators of the diversity is a good thing. I don't, you know, personally, I don't think pointing out the race of the AD matters, but if it's going to be effective in this, in this cause, is it wrong for me sort of looking the other way? Well, I asked that question with the Brown case. I felt like the Brown case was too easy. You turn the sort of liberal woke argument on themselves and, 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 and it was pretty easy to get that one, you know, turned around. But, you know, it, this, this whole college cutting thing, I mean, I've been reading a lot about the William Mary case. Swim Swam, which is kind of the let's run for the swimming world, has had some interesting articles. A guy in the Richmond paper had an article who was an alum. I mean, they're only saving $200,000 a year by cutting their entire men's and women's swimming program because there's no scholarships. So, you know, it's kind of crazy, some of these things. Now, the the track team, I think, at Minnesota has like about a $2 million budget. But you're still having to keep the track to keep the women's teams up. And think about football. They had originally canceled football. How much more money now are they going to take by they're going to get in TV money now because they're actually having a football season. So just really, I think, short-sighted in all of this. But, you know, again, if we're going to start, that's what I'm saying. We have to pay everyone what they're worth. Then track is not going to be worth very much. One other last thing about this William Mary decision. It's pretty amazing. So William Mary has a really strict honor code. And someone's pointed out that the language they use to justify their swimming and track cuts in the press release is clearly taken from the Stanford press release that's cut. Like, there's like, you, uh, we'll put the, the tweet in the show notes, but they, they clearly copied, you know, copy the language so it's like total plagiarism from a college administrator to justify their decisions and you know this would get a a college student suspended or potentially expelled or at least a zero on the paper so come on college administrators you can do better yeah robert i found that outrageous and i think when stanford cuddled those sports our reaction was "Uh uh-oh if stanford's cutting sports watch out other schools are going to follow suit I didn't think they would literally follow suit by just copying and pasting the Stanford release, but this is clear that, you know, they saw what Stanford did and was like, well, this is, we can follow that model. I think with some of these non-revenue sports, it's going to be interesting. It's like, how do you view sports? Is it an expense or just non-revenue sports, just an expense or are sports an integral part of the collegiate experience? And all three of us were Ivy leaguers. We come from privilege. Like we paid to to do college sports and we just viewed it as, as part of the college experience and just so rewarding. And for a lot of kids in non-revenue sports who are on scholarship, the scholarship is the opportunity. It lets them go to college. But hopefully these administrators just 
if it's only viewed as like revenue, non-revenue expense or not, the non-revenue sports are in a load of trouble. If we can start framing it as an opportunity for people, especially for diverse backgrounds, we got to hope. But it's kind of interesting. It's, it may be a trouble just for the Power Five and the big conferences because in another article I'll link to in, in the show notes is if you're a university that's not actually filled up every year, there's a fascinating story that by adding these sports, because most people aren't in scholarship, you're actually making money. Most of the people on the track team, there's only 12 scholarships to go around, aren't on scholarship. So if you get 40 people on the team, you actually can make money by having a track team. So someone wrote an article saying, well, look, you should be adding sports if you're if you're not one of these really prestigious schools because people want to play golf. They want to play swimming. They want to do whatever. Do whatever. But guys, we've been talking administrative stuff. I don't know how we get – normally we put that at the end of the show. The European visitors and the diehard track people are like, enough of that. Let's talk track action. John, where should we head? Let's go to Croatia. Let's go to Zagreb. Uh, Tuesday afternoon – well, I guess it was evening in Zagreb, but – one of the best 800s of the year uh, in here. We got 13-person field. Now, I wrote a preview about this. I was like, oh, is Bryce Hopple the favorite? He probably should be, but he hasn't raced in a month. Robert sort of interjects and puts in a let's run prediction at the end of the preview. He's like, why are we even debating this? Like, Hopple's clearly the favorite. He's going to win no problem. Well, Bryce Hopple, the fourth place for the World Championships, only got fourth in this race behind three Brits. Uh, Daniel Rowden, the British champ, got the win, 144.09, and then Jake Whiteman and Elliot Giles in second and third. Did either of you guys watch this race? Do you have any opinions, any thoughts on Rowden winning, Bryce Hopple fourth, anything like that? Yes, I watched the race, and I think John mischaracterized what I did in the preview, but... I said that Bryce Hopple was the favorite. I still stand by that just because he didn't, didn't, didn't win the race didn't mean he wasn't the favorite. Um, I actually thought Hopple looked pretty – I mean, he was okay. I, I wouldn't say he looked good. To me, he never looked comfortable. Like, he looked like he was straining. But, John, one thing you always talked about and never bothered me before was there was too many people in this field. Hopple was running out in lane two the first lap and – just, but it looked to me like he was straining. It shouldn't be that hard for him to get up near the front. He, he was kind of working too hard at, at the beginning. But he was right there in second until the very end and faded like the last 10, 20 meters to get fourth. But I, I was really impressed by this British kid. Yeah, no, Rowdham was exceptional. But I, I just want to claim victory here because before the race, Robert, I, I made this big deal. I'm like, I don't like these massive 800 fields, 13 people. It's way too many. And Robert's like, yeah, but the best guys usually win, right? Like, how often does this positioning stuff really matter? Well, if you watch this race, positioning mattered a lot because Rowden, Rowden, Roden will figure this out. But he's, I think he's going to be a star, so we'll know soon enough. But he gets out into great position right behind the rabbit early and basically stays there almost the entire race. He got passed with on the final turn uh, into second, but was still right there and then goes by with 100 to go. He's got a ton left, blows everyone away. Whereas Hopple... Had to fight. He was running in lane two for almost the entire first lap. He had to run some extra distance. And you, normally at the end of the race, Bryce Hopple's really strong. We saw in the World Championship final last year, he's mowing people down the last hundred. This time, he looked totally out of gas with 50 to go and got run down. And I think that's because he had to work a little harder and move his way up. And he ran a little extra distance. I don't think that would have happened or it's less likely to happen if the field is eight people as opposed to 13. And I think you saw the same thing with Jake Whiteman, who's been in great form. He he had a decent amount left in the last hundred, but he was kicking from so far back compared to Rowden that he could never catch him. 
did Hopper run more ground? Yes. Did I cost him the race? No. He was he was beaten pretty badly in this race, John. Rowden was the best runner on that day. He beat Whiteman at the U.S. Championships. I mean, at, at the British Championships. If they had run a, a three-person race between Hoppel, Whiteman, and Rowden, I think Rowden would have won this race regardless. I don't think Tactics made that big of a difference. D did it cost Hoppel from going from second to fourth at the end? Probably when he gave up a little bit, yes. But who cares? Rowden deserved the win. He got the win. And you said he's going to be a star. Now, what does that mean? Like, do we consider... I think he's going to be a good 800 meter runner, but I, I, do I think he's going to be Donovan Brazier or a David Rudisha type? And not necessarily. Okay. If, okay. You're, if you're if you're contending for medals, are you a star? If you're Mel Tuka, are you a star? Is Laura Muir a star? Like it's weird. What is a star? Like a star worldwide, or maybe a British star? What What do you mean by that? Uh, I think he can be a British star, and I think he can be a medal contender on the global stage. Now, maybe maybe this is a wild overreaction from one race, but here's what I saw. Guy ran the fastest British time in eight years since Andrew Osagi in the 2012 Olympic final. He beat a quality field handily, runs a personal best of 144.09. And then if you look at his history, this is a guy who ran 144 at age 20 in 2018. He's now 23. Last year, he missed pretty much all of the year with this uh, mysterious stomach condition. He had stomach surgery and that kind of cost him the whole season. Then he changed coaches he gets back into training. He's still only 23. He's actually four days younger than Bryce Hopple. And just, I don't know, a lot of, it's very rare for someone to run 144, blowing away a quality field like this, looking that good with 100 to go. And I've talked to his agent. He thinks he could have run 143 maybe, you know, if he gets in a little bit faster race from the first lap. So I don't know. Is he going to be contending for the world title? I'm not sure, but, I don't think he's that much worse than Bryce Hopple. And, you know, he beat Bryce Hopple in this race. And Bryce Hopple, we thought a few weeks ago, could be the silver medalist at the Olympics. So I think this round guy's pretty good. John, good and good journalism there. He talked to his agent. He said he could break, get in the 143s. He ran 144.09 here. I mean, that, that was a big speed <laughs> you got there. <laughs> All right, fair point, fair point. But I saw the race, too. I did not know who this guy was. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And he's kind of like a skinny, lanky guy. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know this guy. Um, so good run by him. I didn't know his backstory. But, John, you're acting like this field had Rhodesia and stuff in it. Now, I guess Bryce Hopple has been about as good as anybody there is this year. But this wasn't a great run by Hopple. People, t I think we were making too much of the you know, the crowdedness and that sort of stuff. He ran 144.95. His last run was actually his only 800 outdoors this year. He went 143.23, nearly beat Donovan Brazier. So, I don't know, he's 1.7 seconds slower. I don't think that was just running out in lane two. Lane two could actually probably make half that distance. It'd be interesting to figure out the math on that. But my question is, like, what's Hoppel been doing? Has he been in Europe the whole time, just one month between races, like just hanging out? Or did he come back? Doesn't he went back home to the U.S., but I, I found that weird too, Weldon. Like, if you're coming over from Monaco, we looked at the Zombie NOP guys. They ran a bunch of races, you know, and Hobble came over from Monaco, ran once, then came back to the U.S., and then came back for Zagreb, and now I don't know. I mean, how many meets are even left in Europe? There's one in Doha next week. That's not in Europe, but, that you know, maybe he runs that. I don't even know if there's an 800 there. It is kind of interesting. Yeah, so hopefully he's got one more race. You know, maybe if you travel back, the, the travel, this field was crowded. He's a young kid. He, he, we're just so used to him delivering his A-plus game every time he runs. So 
I would like to see one more race from Bryce this year, but great run by Dan Roden. Rowden. Yeah, it's been a great year for the Brits overall in middle distance. I mean, they've got five guys under. They had three guys under one forty-five in this race alone. Five guys under one forty-five for the year, and Jake Whiteman ran three twenty-nine in Monaco. And you know, last year they had. Three guys in the World Championship final, you know, Whiteman and Kerr finished fifth and sixth. I, I, I sort of teased this in our Zagreb recap. I don't think it's quite the 1980s yet, but this could be a pretty nice decade for British middle distance riding. They got a lot of good young talent right now. Uh, there was one other mid-D race worth noting in Zagreb. We can sort of breeze over it quickly, but it was 1,500. Stuart McSwain was going for the Australian record. I actually think he might have been able to get it. Had the rabbiting been a little better, but the pace has slowed down a lot for the second 400. Cost him. He won easily in 332.17. A bunch of PRs behind him. James West, West from Great Britain, second 334. Matthew Ramsden, another eighth PR of the summer for Matthew Ramsden, the young Aussie. That's been really impressive. So him and West both got under the Olympic standard, but it won't count for next year. And I do feel kind of bad. Those are the guys it might be affecting because someone who just gets under by a little and you know you would expect they could keep improving next year but maybe they get banged up so that's something i wonder about like is this going to come back to bite them getting running under the standard but not officially having it i mean personally for me the standards uh, i kind of worry about it when i worry about sort of athlete equity but i don't really big picture who cares if you can't hit the standard next year it's like kind of comes back a team b team c team you're not an A-teamer if you're not hitting the standard, usually. So in the 1500, 1500's different because you can have tactical races and be pretty good. But like, if you're an, I feel like especially from Australia, you'll probably be making the team if you're close to the standard. Okay, so. okay. W- wait a second here, though. You claim to say, oh, we don't... I thought the whole thing about Let's Run is we do care about these... These guys aren't B-teamers, but we do care about like not just the best of the best. And we also want trials and national championships to mean something. So what if these guys go into a national championship next year, get second, but they don't have the standard and someone from behind goes over them. That's not what we want, right? I thought we always wanted the the championships to determine teams. John, COVID's changed everything. I can't take this shit anymore. No B teamers, no C teamers. We're done. Just the A team. I don't know, John. I'm probably inconsistent. I just was. I just want an Olympics. I want stars. These other guys. Anyone who shows up, in my opinion, okay, yeah, let them all into the Olympics. If you've been competing during COVID in Europe, you automatically qualify. That should be it. Like you've been fighting COVID. You've not been showing fear. You've been doing what I want most young people to be doing. So, okay, well then, is that? It looks like you're drinking Dr Pepper, but I can't tell if there's vodka laced in there or something. You, you sort of seem to be losing your marbles right now. So I want to move over because. I think Robert has also moved, lost his marbles based on the next point he's about to make. Uh, and I think it regards the Berlin meet over the weekend. We saw Beatrice Chepkoet. She ran her first steeple of the year there. She got beat by Hyvin Kiang uh, in that race. Hyvin Kiang, the 2015 world champion, she won it in 9-10. And then I see something about, is Emma Coburn now the favorite for Olympic gold next year? Uh, this seems like, I mean, I know it's week one NFL, which is the prime time for overreactions, but what is the argument here exactly? Well, I just, I didn't think a 9-10 was a very good time for someone who's run 844. And 
I know that basically Emma Coburn had sort of insinuated that she thought that Beatrice Chipkowicz might be on drugs a few years ago. So I went to Telestopchin, looked up her um, her seasonal best, and, and they're kind of running, what do you call that thing, John, in science when it goes a bell curve up and down or, you know, what's that thing? Is that what it's called? Like the- Well, a bell curve is shaped like a bell. Yeah, well, anyways, 2016, she ran 910. 2017, 859. 2018, 844. 2019, she goes back closer to nine minutes, 855. And then 2020, 910. So she's not headed in the right direction. Robert, have you been paying attention this like season, though? There haven't been... There's been like this is like the first steeple, first woman steeple I can remember seeing the entire year. She didn't look good in it, no. But we're also in an age of COVID, and how did Bryce Hopple do in his first 800 of the year? Just fine. How did Timothy Chariot do in his first European race of the year? Just fine, 328. I'm not saying, I'm not. This reminds me a little bit of when Mary Kane didn't PR that one year, about five years ago. The first time she didn't PR, I said, John, uh, and John's like, you're overreacting, you're overreacting. I said, no, I'm not. When a teenage girl stops improving, that can be a real bad thing. And I was definitely proven correct on that one. I'm not saying that she's done. It could be COVID, but I'm just saying, hey, if you're looking at this, this could be a sign that she's no longer, you know, last year she was still... Better than everyone, but you could imagine her somewhat being beaten on an off day. And then if she takes another step back from that, it's it's much more wide open. So it looks like John does not think that Emma Coburn is the favorite for the women's steeplechase. And then the question I have for you is, who, which American mid-day distance runner has the best shot for Olympic gold in 2021? Okay, well, John Ponder said, I'm jumping in. Robert, do you know what Beatrice Chipskowicz ran for Monaco at 5K? She ran like 14.55, which isn't that good for her. Exactly. So she's not in shape. It's a hell of a lot better than Emma Coburn. No, it's about what Coburn could probably run for 5,000. It's pro- Emma Coburn has never... Now, I'll grant you that's probably true, but Emma Coburn, she doesn't really run the 5,000. Now, I, I will say this. Coburn's, you know, PR to the 1500. She's run 403. I did look up Chip Kovic. Chip Kovic ran 402 indoors. I, I still think Chip Kovic is better, but. Okay, they should have a new rule. They have a new rule. I'm putting in a new rule for the steeplechase. If you can't break 15 minutes for 5K, you should not be allowed to medal. Come on. We got to get the standards up in this event. Are you kidding me? Of course, Emma Coburn could break 15 minutes. If not, the steeplechase right now is like, holy shit, why don't some of these 5K runners learn how to hurdle? Like, a 15-minute 5K for women, it's just not that great anymore. Okay, that's, that's all right. Courtney Farrick's ran 14.50 earlier this year. If she can run 14.50, Emma Coburn can definitely do that or come very close. So I'll, I'll admit that. But I'm just saying that the idea that Chip Coach shouldn't be the favorite for gold anymore next year. I, I just think is ludicrous, especially when you look at her performances last year. She lost one race all year. She was consistently low nine flat nine minutes or eight fifty five in Stanford, eight fifty seven in the World Championship final. I mean, she was just on another level. Okay, John, but you act like this is her first steeple. First of all, it doesn't t- take long to, to first steeple to to pick up the steeple. They can run fast the first time out. Secondly, when was Monaco? What was the date of that race? August fourteenth. So she had over a month to get in better shape from that and really hasn't gotten in better shape. So it's not like 
She had this long layoff. She should have been theoretically progressing a lot from that 1450. Maybe she wasn't planning on racing again, and they said, hey, we have a steeple. We'll pay you some money to show up, and she did it. I mean, I'm just not going to write her off off one race at the end of the season in Berlin. It wasn't even that. She led for a lot of it and got kicked. I mean, it wasn't even that bad. Okay, so you're not saying she's the gold medal favorite, but which American then does have the best shots at gold? In 2016, we shocked the world by getting six medals, five on the men's side, Clayton Murphy, Centrowitz, Jager, Chilimo, and Rupp. Obviously, only one of those was a gold, not Centrowitz. And then Jenny Simpson won a medal in the women's 1500. But the most recent worlds, it was obvious that the women led the way. Raven Rogers and Ajay Wilson got uh, silver and bronze in the 800. Emma Coburn got a silver or bronze in the steeple. Which one did she get? And then obviously Donovan Brazier won the men's 800. So I'm assuming you're going to say it's Brazier. Yeah, I think it has to be. I mean... It's interesting if Wilson had won gold last year. I, th- I think we we might have had to say there's a very interesting debate between Wilson and Brazier because Wilson was utterly dominant until the World Champs and she got upset. But now you look at Raven Rogers; she's a little younger than Wilson, and she, you know I think those two sort of hurt each other's chances because both of them could win. So I think if you're looking at the one American with the best shot, who I feel most comfortable about, it, it's definitely Brazier, 100. percent yeah, I think it's pretty easy. I think you look at it, it's got to be Brazier on the men, Wilson on the women. After that, it probably then maybe that's the question. I think it gets a lot harder. The men yeah, no no medals. Yeah, I mean, Jay, if Jake is healthy, uh, he's I think he's got a shot. I mean, Chalimo, if he can get back, he's medaled twice, so I don't think we can totally lock, knock him. Hopple's in there with a chance. I mean, this is just talking about men right now. But these are chances for medal. These aren't chances for, for men's gold medal. Let's be honest. Yeah. Brazier is America. Brazier and Jager are America's only realistic chances for a gold medal in 2021. So we 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 are writing off Centro. Matthew Centrowitz, America's greatest 1500 meter runner ever, the Olympic champion, defending Olympic champion, saying he has no chance to. Well, run. I guess if Chirac gets hurt like Kiprop did, and then Inga Britson, then it's wide open. But. Z- Chance to win the gold medal? He did win it last time, Weldon. His chances of not making an Olympic team are much higher than his chances of winning the gold medal. I'll well, say that that's much. a take. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I I mean, Centro makes teams. That's just what he always makes the team. Even if he's like 50%, he makes the team. Well, no. But, the, the, the obvious, the obvious, it's Brazier is the number one gold medal chance. Then Ajay. Then after that, it's clearly either Jager or Coburn. I don't know. Rogers? What? Rogers? No. No, 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 no. What? She was the silver medalist last year, Robert. Okay. You you just think... It is a weak what? event, though. I mean, they shouldn't even maybe hand out medals in the women's 800. <laughs> what? It's just... Uh, I, I, the intersex athletes have ruined what I think it was a good time. I mean, I, it's just... We're going to talk about women's 800 in just a minute, but... What about Shelby Houlihan? Yeah, we haven't even mentioned Shelby Houlihan. Oh, no, I forgot. The whole reason why I brought this up, and I didn't have this on this list, was last night I was thinking of her. This is crazy. Might she be the next best chance for gold? Because, particularly in the 5,000, if if it gets watered down and all the women... And and Hassan and these people run the 1,500... And then the other people run the, the best distance runners run the 10,000, and maybe they don't bother to come. Which is first, John, the 5,000 or 10,000 for the women, though? I think the 5,000 is first. Well, anyways, 
the ten the people might focus on the ten thousand, not run the five thousand. So the five thousand could be really watered down. All right, sorry, I I I, I don't know how it slipped my mind about Hulahan. So I would put Hulahan third behind Wilson and Brazier as chance for gold. I think she. I mean, I I think I know she hasn't medaled yet. She was only fourth last year, but. I think she she absolutely is a gold medal contender. No, 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 no. Oh, no. what? No, Robert, come on. She is absolutely a gold medal contender in the 1500. Well, I brought it up thinking, yes, that she could if it gets watered down, even though she's never medaled. But she's not a bigger gold medal f- favorite than the two steeplechasers. The two, two steeplechasers, you're in the you're in the ultimate. We're talking about winning a gold in a watered down field because highly Gilbert Celeste equivalent doesn't bother about double back or something like that. But the steeple is the ultimate watered down field in the sense of 80% of the people can't do it because they can't hurdle the, hurdle the hurdles. Yeah, so, c- come on. C- Coburn, I think Coburn probably has a better chance than Houlihan. I'll say that. But what... I what I was saying is you're saying that she she's like shouldn't be treated as a gold medal contender. I think that's totally ridiculous. She absolutely she can beat Kip Yugon. I think she can beat Kip Yugon and Hassan. It's going to be really tough, but I also don't think Hassan's going to be in 351 shape again. That's a loaded event, but I think she can absolutely win it. No, no, no. no. For some reason I'm thinking her best bet is in the 5000. Which doesn't make much sense, but she's not beating Faith Kipyugon. Okay? Come on, John. Not a healthy one. I think Kipyugon's better, but how, I mean, how much did Kipyugon beat her by last year? Like a ton. Not a ton. No, it was less than a second for sure. Hulahan ran three fifty four ninety nine. Kipyugon ran three fifty four twenty two. So that's a, that's a healthy margin, but and then of course Hassan was like way ahead of both of them, but. No, Houlihan, absolutely gold medal contender. I think it's it's disrespectful to say otherwise. And I think Centro... Nah, I'm still not totally counting that guy out, but I think the problem is he's going to be... He turns 31 in October, and he's had trouble staying healthy pretty much ever since he won the Olympics. So that's the, that's the issue, I think, for him. And obviously, Chariot's just a monster. Like, Chariot is pretty much... Him and Ingebrigtsen, I feel like it's going to be very tough for Centro to be either of those. I guess if Centro makes the team, it means he got in shape. And when he gets in shape, he does things, the World Championships and Olympics. But he's just done so little the last couple of years. I mean, I guess he'll, he ran a fast time last year, right? We sort of forget. forget. But I'm not confident. I just look at his medal record, and I guess, you know, he's... He's medaled in 2011, fourth in 2012, medaled in 2013, gold in 2016. I, I just don't want to write off a guy who's proven time and again he can get it done in championship races if he's at his best. And I'm, will, will he be more focused on the Letron.com Poker Classic at the trials next year, John? I mean, you just got to think about these things. We've already put that out there. He's goal-oriented. He'll be focusing on that. Will he be too distracted to focus on the trials? And also, Nick Willis, medal, he got silver in 20... Sorry, he got bronze in 2012. Sorry, 2016. Bronze in 2016 at age 33, which is two years younger than Centra will be. So, no, I'm not writing off Centra. I just think Shelby's best bet is honestly the more I think about it is the five thousand. I don't know sure she's even going to run that event. But if your Barry's out and you can't really trust Good Day and Ayana, where she she is, why is O'Beary out? I don't know. She's just not that consistent. I'm saying it, I'm saying I have a lot less faith that she's going to be in, in tip top shape than I do Faith Kipier again. 
So, and, and Abiri, all right, her medal record, the last three global championships in the 5,000. She was silver in 2016, gold in 2017, gold in 2019. I mean, that's pretty damn consistent, Robert. Okay, then you don't get Hassan. So, anyways, it'll be interesting. But this is the thing I don't like about the, some of these events in the Olympics. It's kind of like, okay, if, if the best athlete goes for another event and then you're in there, then you get a better shot. I like to have all the best people in the event. And you're the undisputed, you know, best person. But we did talk about surprising results and talked about some men's 800 results. I want to talk about the women's 800 yesterday in Bellinzona. Not even sure where that is. It's in Switzerland, Robert. Okay, good. Have you ever heard of Hedda Heine? Hedda Hein? I don't know how to say her. H-Y-N-N-E. I had heard of her. Good, because she's uh, she's made the semifinals of Worlds and Olympics, I think, or at least the Worlds a couple times. She has run, first of all, this meet, the top three times in the world outdoors were all run. This 30-year-old Norwegian woman ran 158.10. Selena Buchel, who's you know been good in the past, 158.37. And then Laura Hoffman, another Swiss athlete who actually beat Buchel at the Swiss Championships last week, um, was third, 158.50. So props to Norway's... How are we going to say her last name? Hey, let's props to Hedda for running the Norwegian national record and world leader. Yeah, I was very surprised by this result. And this could be dated because him, sorry, let's just say Hedda, Hedda and Hoffman are both in the 800 in Rome, which is on Thursday, which you guys may have already listened to. We didn't get to talk about this in our Rome preview at the start of the show. So I'm sort of sneakily sliding it in right here, but they're facing Laura Muir. They're facing Gemma Riki. They actually both beat Riki in this race in Bellinzona, but I was pretty amazed by the progress they've made. I mean, Hoffman had never broken two minutes until this, this race. Her PR was two flat 51. Her PR at the start of September was two Oh one 67. And then she's PR'd three times since then run two Oh one, two flat now one fifty eight. That's pretty impressive at 24, but I think what Hin has done is almost more unlikely just given her age, 30 years old. That's sort of, as an 800 runner, you're usually towards the back end of your career at that age. Her PR going into the season was 159.87, and yet she's now run in her last in her last three races, she's run 159.57 in a mixed race. National record of 159.15 in Rovereto on September 8th and now 158-10. So PRing by almost, you know, by like a second and a half and now one second, a full second in one race at age 30, that doesn't really happen very often. Yeah, she'd only broken two twice in her career before this year. Semifinals 2017-2019. So, you know, decent runner, but big props to her. But we'll see, you know, maybe this is the Stanford of, of Europe. Maybe the track was short. We'll see how she does in Rome. And, and John, did you say that Muir and Ricky are racing each other? I didn't know this was allowed. I didn't know that the two teammates were actually allowed to race each other outdoors. I've been waiting for them to clash at 800. John's got this crazy theory. He doesn't really believe it, but maybe we will find out if Muir should run the 800 next year because it's so watered down. If she wins this race convincingly, maybe I will put her in the 800 at Worlds next year. But Wait, 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 wait. Robert, I'm just going to say they raced each other in Monaco. Do you not remember that? Like, I know it was a month ago, but they raced each other in the thousand in Monaco. It's not like Muir and Riki never race each other. Okay. I stand corrected. Rare mistake by yours truly. Now, John, I, I see in the notes here, you want to go on and on about these Spanish championships. And we talked about, 
I, I meant to bring this up earlier when we talked about the failure of leadership by Max Siegel to put on to let the put on the U.S. championships this year. Yes, you have a lot of people at a track meet, but shout out to the Spanish people. They held their nationals last weekend, and they held it at a number of venues around Madrid. So, like, the distance runners went to one track. The sprinters probably went to another. The throwers maybe to another. Very creative thinking. Kudos to you for having your national championships. But you, you, you've you got these notes down here. You call it the performance of the week. It goes to Spain's Esther Guerrero. 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 You've definitely seen that word before. John, I, I, I placed out of Spanish. I'm a good Spanish speaker. Guerrero. I, I can't do the, air, the RA, though. Guerrero. It's like I've, Vladimir Guerrero. It's a, you know, it's not that uncommon around these parts. So she won the 800 and 1500 meter titles in the span of 15 minutes. I actually read, I think, in Race Results Weekly that they were eight minutes apart. So is this your performance of the week, John? Yes. She won two, the 815 in the span of eight minutes apart. I mean, if an American did that, would be shitting up our pants. This is insane. Like, look, I know the competition. It's not as deep in Spain, but she ran 206 in the 800 and 423 in the 1500. I mean, I know those aren't like amazingly fast times, but to run them in championship finals and win both eight minutes apart. Yes, that's my performance of the week. That's absolutely absurd. Is there a thread on this? I, I, I don't know how I missed this. It was on the homepage. Robert's probably going to come up with some stat like, oh, she didn't beat anyone. I don't care. I don't care who she beat. That's re- that's absurd. That's so good. Yeah. I mean, this is Spain. This isn't like Liechtenstein or something. Like, just even to try to pull this off, I commend her. I'm sure technically you could say, oh, the times aren't that great. It's just like a good workout or some BS like that. But Congratulations. How did Robert say Guerrero? Okay, John. Uh, the reason why I'm not impressed with this is just, I mean, I'm impressed that she did it, but why did she do it? Because the competition she's facing was weak. Miss Guerrero, who's run two flat in 403, was beating up on a bunch of people who are, are, are nowhere close to that. The, the, the runner up in the 1500 has run 47, oh, excuse me, 412 this year. And the runner up in the Spanish National Championships for 800 meters has run 206 this year. So, yeah, you know, I mean, not that impressive to me. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Again, two national titles in the span of, like, 15 minutes. I was impressed. And like I said, I don't care about the competition. But let's move on here. Robert, you have a brilliant idea about some sort of related to this with same-day doubles. Can you explain this? This This is my Rojo's hot take of the week. And this is my proposal to save the sport of track and field. We've written the article several weeks ago about which doubles are doable. And it's really bothering us that like some of these doubles, particularly the 15-5, are too hard to do. And we hope that World Athletics was reading the article. Maybe we should email it to them, John, because they need to change this Olympic schedule. So the doubles are doable. So it's more, you know, you got the big stars racing each other more often. And... Then I was looking at the results of the All-Japan Inter-University Track and Field Championships, and I thought, oh my God, the solution to our schedule problems is so simple. In Japan, at this meet, they ran the the 1,500-meter prelims and final on the same day. They were only seven, eight hours apart. Why don't we do that? 
we should run the first round and the second round of the 1500 on the same day. You run the prelims in the morning, you run the semis in the final, and then you come back two or three days later and run the, I mean, you run the prelims in the morning, the semis in the evening, and then two or three days later you come back in the final, and that way there'll be no overlap between the 15 and the fives. It'll be easy, you can double, it's, it's a win-win, and it actually even might help Central because it'll help the stronger runners who have to run twice in one day. It's, all right. I need to take a deep breath before I respond to how stupid this is. It's not a win-win. Our whole So the whole reason we wrote this article about getting them to change the schedule is to f- make sure that athletes do not have to run twice on the same day. No, the whole reason we wrote the article was so they don't have to run two different events on the same day. So that's not unfair. So that like a 5,000 meter runner doesn't have to run the 5,000 semis after running the 1500 meter prelims that morning because he'll be more tired than the other 5,000 meter runners. Whereas under this solution, everyone in the same event is running twice on one day. So it's totally fair. It gets rid of, you know, if you can't get out of the first round, who cares? And in the past, they used to do things like this. Didn't, wasn't there an event that we said that they ran it on the same day, John, like the prelim in the morning in the final, like an Olympics back in the day. But, just because they did, they stopped doing it in the past for a reason. It's stupid. Like I want to see these athletes at their best. I understand. Oh, it every- really hurt Dave Waddle. Dave Waddle ran the the prelims, the semis, and the finals. Not on. He didn't never had two races in one day, but they were back to back to back. Day one, day two. All right, day here, three. here we go, Robert. Let me just see. Like David Rudisha, did you enjoy watching him run the world record in the Olympic final? That was pretty fun, right? You think he still would have done that if he had run an eight hundred earlier that day? I just think we have a. Nine days of track and field at the Olympics. We have plenty of time to spread it out. The solution is not have athletes run two races in one day in the mid-distance events. It is spread out the schedule more intelligently. And the idea that even if you do implement this, you build this as an idea to save the sport. The entire sport of track and field will be saved because now we've got it's not going to save it, guys. That's what you said, Robert. That's what you built it as. John, come on. You, you you admit it. It's a disgrace that Hiley G never bothered to come back for the 5,000 or because they were used to run heats of, heats of the 10,000. Like, you've got to get the stars in the event. I don't want Shelby Houlihan winning an event. Yes, people will talk about it. She wins the 5,000 with no Hassan, no Gaudet, no Ayana. I mean, it'll be a howl. Somewhat, I'll put a big, big asterisk next to the event because people can't double back to it. This is a simple solution. J- 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 Mr. Jonathan Galt, who thinks it's hard for someone to run two 5,000s in the span of like two months, is upset that I'm going to make them run two 800s or two 1500s in the same day, you know, 10 hours apart. Give me a break, John. In Japan, the reason why I got this is they did this at this race and it, they ran just fine. The winner of the men's race was a 21 year old guy. He's got a 343 PR. How fast did he run? 348 in both races. Same thing in the women's race. A 417 woman won it. She ran 423 in back-to-back races. Now, I I will take it. Maybe the Japanese are with their distance background are a little bit better at doing this than most people. But if I get, you know, a 328 runner running 333, that's fast enough for me. Okay. I just like zoned out a long time ago. This is some way to supposed to like save our sport. Nobody cares whether we double 800s or 1500s. It's not going to even happen. I just was like, maybe I should just delete this whole part from the podcast. Let's move on. I've had a thread of the week, but I've also discovered a post of the week. Which would you guys like to go with here first? Oh, well, I'm in charge here. I'm going to thread of the week. Guys, have you heard the bad news? The thread of the week. Here it is. Bikili. 
8 by 2K at 8,500 feet, dot, 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 bad news. And this poster links to, I think, a Spanish Instagram post, and it shows, like, some Ethiopian guys running down a road. And there's, you know, I don't know, 8 or 10 of people, 6 to 10 people. And then it sort of slows in at the end, and this one guy's kind of trailing them. This looks guy, he looks a little more overweight, possibly. And then that's actually Bekele. So he's clearly getting dropped in this workout, it looks out. And they're pointing out that the London Marathon is, what, three weeks away? Can we repeat that, everyone? Good news. The London Marathon is three weeks away. Oh, so excited. But anyway, they're saying, like, Bekele looks out of shape. How's he going to be ready for London? All right. This this thread is great because it reminds me, this is an annual right a full marathon season. Is someone finding some bootleg video of Bekele in a workout eyeballing it thinking he might be overweight and settling the world is over the the end has come for Kennedy Spikele this always happens he's written off all the time like oh my god he, he got dropped in a workout he didn't look that good the proof's gonna be in London I just think we but this is this happens on Let's Run this is what Let's Run the message boards there's always gonna be some thread oh Bekele I think he might be washed up oh did you see what he eat I saw Bekele at a restaurant and he had like a, a hamburger on his plate like you know just it's overblown. We'll see whether he's ready to go in London. I'm not going to speculate about him running at the back of some workout for in a 10 second Instagram clip. I want to know who found this thing. Like the original poster didn't link to the Instagram. Did one of you guys go f- find this thing? And I take it back. I don't think this is Spanish. I'm looking at it now. I think it's like Portuguese. I'm not sure what language this is. Well, guys, I find this interesting for a number of reasons. One, are the people who are saying that we can't talk about body types and track and field listening? We devoted the bonus portion of our podcast last week to this very topic. Yes, people talk about body types in sports all the time. So the next time someone says a comment about a woman's body, don't, it doesn't mean it's sexualized or it's being sexist. People talk, but body type is important in track and field. I wish it wasn't. I wish you could weigh 300 pounds and be a good distance runner, but it's not possible. Um, but, the, some of the posts were fascinating to me because people said, well, hey, you know, when I was in college, they would often start with the best runners in the back and you would mow down the people on a, a temple run. So how do you know Bikile didn't start behind the people in this workout? That's what the Bikile defenders were saying. I haven't actually watched the video, John. I'm sure it's him. He doesn't look good. Th- that's not a good sign for me. I mean, it was him, but I just, I've counted this guy out a bunch of times in the marathon and he's, he's come back. He hasn't always, I think the one thing that of value that came from this thread is someone pointed out Bekele struggles to run two good marathons in a row. And I do think that is a fair criticism. If you look at his past history, you know, he's run some very good marathons, but he hasn't always been able to follow them with another very good marathon. And Grind, you know, maybe maybe because we kind of skipped the spring marathon season, uh, that doesn't apply this time around. But consistency has been an issue for him in his marathon career, so that would be what I'm more worried about. But again, I'm not going to write off the greatest distance runner of all time because he was running about you know 15 meters behind some guys in a workout with we have no context for. It did depress me, though, when I saw it. I'm going to have to watch the Instagram all day today, I think, instead of ordering those T-shirts. Wait, but Robert, what was the weather in the... We need to know the weather in the video. We don't even know that. That's a good point, John. My, my, my thread of the week was... Just came up last night. 
Gert Ingebrigtsen, that's the father of the Ingebrigtsen sons and the coach, says that Jacob will run 325. And there was a Norwegian podcast where he did say, how fast do you think he'll run in the, three, in the 1500? And he said 325. Now, normally you might think that this is just dad sort of, you know, hyping up his child in the hype machine. But what's interesting to me about the Ingebrigtsen's always has been, first of all, the father has coached all of the brothers. And the other brothers, it's not like they're chopped livers, like, you know, the oldest was like fifth at the Olympics. The other one got didn't he get a medal in the in the world championships? Twenty seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. So he knows what they're capable of. But the thing that interests me about this is they've got physiological testing of like the, the VO two max and all these things of these people, and they've hinted at that Jacobs is off the chart, and then it's off the chart way better than the other brothers. So if they think, well, okay, well, this is their, their levels, and they've run three thirty. Why wouldn't he run 325? So, Jonathan, will Jacob Ingebrigtsen break the 1,500-meter world record during his career? Oh, will he do it? I, I I don't think so because, but again, like we said, betting against world records is always the smart thing. But can he? Yeah, I think he could. I think it's possible Jacob runs 325 and doesn't break the world record because Chariot gets there first. Like, I think both those guys have the ability or the potential to maybe run 325. Like, Jakob, he's 19 years old and he ran 328 this year. He's gotten better every year of his career. Like, yes, I think it's possible. I certainly don't think it's ludicrous. I mean, 325 does sound like a fantasy time when when you first hear it. But if you look at his progression, I think it's possible. This is perfect because actually my post of the week is in this thread. We did not set this up. When Robert went to this thread, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we really are twins. And, John, you just touched on it. And so my post of the week is from a poster named Mac Daddy. He's not logged in. I think if you're a logged in poster and you get the post of the week, you should get a free at least one month membership of the let's run.com VIP. You'll be able to save 20% of your running shoes. So be logged in next time. Mike, is, could this be the 2012 Olympic champion to feat McCloofy? Well done. McCloofy maybe posted this, but he said Hill, meaning Jakob, will run 325 if Tim runs 324. 11 to 0. Potato Tim eats Jakob for breakfast. And I loved how he called Timothy Chariot Potato Tim, or the potato farmer. Who has eleven and a lifetime record, which is pretty amazing, versus Jakob. I think one of these guys will go sub three twenty six. That means one of them will break the world record. Why we're talking about we're talking about a Norwegian runner again? Like Norway's like killing it. We have the world leader in women's eight hundred. I guess Jakob's the only world number two in the men's fifteen hundred. They got the world leader at the four hundred meter hurdles. I mean, what's in the water in Norway? They're, it's for a tiny little country. I think there's like 4 million people in Norway, right? Yeah, 5.4 million, according to Google. Um, they're, they're having a moment. I mean, that's like Connecticut. Connecticut's got 4 million. Norwegians, we want to hear from you. Oh, we forgot to put out our phone number and how to contact the show. You can email us at pod, P-O-D, at letsrun.com. Or call the show, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. But if you live in Norway, we want to know... Who's the biggest stars? Are the Ingebrigtsen's bigger than Warholm? Is Warholm way bigger? Tell us who the big stars are there in the press and the media, etc. Yeah, the genius of the Let's Run posters never amazed me because somebody f- was listening to a Norwegian podcast and then they went on Let's Run and posted about it and translated it for us. So thank you, sir. Maybe that guy should be the poster of the week because 
I'm going to make that guy a f- free VIP right there. There you go. Everyone else, subscribe. You can try your first month for $1. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Even if you just want to save a shitload in running shoes, like 20% off, like every shoe, you won't be disappointed. Trust me. Sign up. You can then go cancel right away. We will not bill you beyond one month if you just want to test it out. But you will get the full one month of privileges. Yeah, if you're a serious runner running like you know 60 miles a week or more, this membership will pay for itself with how often you go through shoes. Um, okay, one thing before we go, Robert did tease it in the intro, so I want to address it. A 60-year-old has run 71.09 in the half. Tommy Hughes, which is a Blidraid 60-plus age group world record. Guys, as all three of us are well under 60 years old, and I don't think any of us could run 71.09 in the half right now. So how impressed are you by this performance? He's how old? 60? Yeah. It's f- unbelievable. We're in 71 minutes? John, like, I don't think you understand. Like, I mean, I was doing these cross-country races this summer uh, under 5K, and I wasn't running sub-6 per mile. And I've run 430 a mile for six miles. Like, I just can't fathom. So this guy's running 520 a mile? I mean, it's just sick. Well done, sir. Well done. Well, what struck me about this was the one of the posters says it's only – He's only running 35 seconds off the mile world record at that pace, so it'd be like the equivalent of a man running a 55-minute half marathon, which is interesting. But I wasn't that blown away in the sense of the world record was already 71 minutes from like 10 years ago. So when you factor in the new shoes, this guy ran a two – didn't he run a two – what did he run in the marathon last week, last year or year before? In 227 at age 59, which is also pretty crazy. So – Given what other people have run, it's not that shocking. But if you said, you know, an absolute vacuum, if you told me this, I'd be like, oh my God, it's amazing. I mean, to me, it's just more shocking that two people have run the 71s than saying, oh, some of the previous record was 71 something. I mean, they're both pretty amazing performances. So congratulations to Ireland's Tommy Hughes on that one. And basically, everybody at this meet, this was at the PO Ferries Antrim Coast Half Marathon in Northern Ireland. Everybody ran super fast except for Mo Farah. Farah won the British record, but never really went for it. 60 31, but dominant victory over Mark Scott in his debut. Um, <clears throat> another <clears throat> racing yet again in Europe, 60 43. But what struck me about these results when I was perusing race results weekly is numbers. 2 through 11 on the men's side all ran personal best. So don't tell me that's not significantly a big portion of the shoe stuff, the new shoes. And, folks, I'm going to give you guys a hint here. I'm going to be talking to Jeff Burns, the biomechanical expert at the University of Michigan. I've been sending him some emails about this, and he's with me on this. He thinks the shoe story is still one of the biggest stories in all of track and field. And people act like it's over. He's like, it's not over. We don't know how the Adidas shoes and the Nike shoes and the Saucony shoes and whatever, New Balance, how they stack up, how they compare each other, compare each other, compare against each other. People want to act like we're on a level playing field. Who's acting like that? Who has said that? Well, last week we were hyping up a half marathon worker by Adidas and acting like, oh, it's all well. It's all is well now. Adidas has it. I- no, I, I didn't say that. I said that we don't have the testing. I think it's been put on hiatus because there hasn't been road races churning out all these results week after week. But it's still very much, once road racing begins, we see, like, once Kipchoge runs, like, 
201 in London, people are going to start talking about it again. Believe you. Oh my gosh, if we get a 201 in London. But this is another positive of COVID. Thank you, COVID. I just saw the like notes, like a bunch of PRs of this half marathon, and I thought Robert was going to say something about the course must be short or something. I completely forgot about all the shoe BS. So thank you, COVID, for canceling all these races. We haven't had to worry about it. Thank you. I think I'd be happy to start talking about shoe, shoe stuff again if it means we can stop talking about this COVID conspiracy theories every week. Do you guys also remember the first time one podcast we made fun of the word COVID? Like, oh, the scientists call it COVID. Did we? <laughs> I think so. I don't know. Because I think at the time, most people said coronavirus. And we're like, oh, like the scientists call it COVID-19. We're oh, I like, think we did do the- that. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Now they're just interchangeable. But uh, yeah, you guys, listen. if you're listening right now, you're lucky that the conspiracy portion of this podcast took place off air before we were recording because I think if, if that had made it to where it would have gone totally off the rails. But I hope that Weldon and Robert don't use this as an invitation to start talking about well, about COVID conspiracy theories. I don't have a COVID hot take this week. Great. Let's leave it at that. I'm trying to think what the conspiracy theory was. Oh, John, that's in the news. This thing was in the news. No, 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 no. This is in the news. We don't have to mention it. We're not going to even have a bonus portion of the podcast this week, but I think subscribers, I'll give you guys the more detailed show notes. So if you want to skip around the podcast, you can. Everyone else, though, I guess if you're still listening, you won't be hearing this. So I'll just let them skip, you know, the first five minutes when we previewed Rome, which may already be over. But Yeah. All right, guys. I think this is good. We got Rome. Hopefully everyone has enjoyed that. Doha is the final Diamond League next week. And then... After that, we're only two weeks out from the London Marathon. So, plenty to get excited about still. But I think that's going to do it for us this week. And guys and girls, don't forget, if you got feedback for the podcast, email us pod at letsrun.com. Or you can give us a call, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Fake Galen Rupp, I know you're out there.